This is High Stakes from Gerard Phillips, Kate and Hancock. This is High Stakes, I'm David Schifrin. Today, checking in with Reed Smith, our VP of Digital here at Gerard, to talk about a recent study showing that consumerism remains high on the list of providers' priorities, but it is slowing down just a little bit and has been over the past year. Wonder why that might be. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, and of course, subscribe to all of our thinking by going to gerardinc.com forward slash pod. So I've, I've been toying around with this idea, you know, we're seeing so much scrutiny in, of hospitals, and essentially what it comes down to is there's a lot of pressure being put on providers. Some of it is dumb, some of it is self-inflicted, but ultimately there's a lot of forces at work that are trying to tear down the trust that providers have. On the other side of things, there's this new study, and depending on who you ask, it's either that providers are continuing to push forward with their consumerism efforts, or the more cynical folks are saying, it's kind of like telehealth, like they were doing a lot of really good work and it slowed down. But one way or the other, people are expecting more consumer-friendly, accessible tools and more hospital at home. I mean, it's pandemic has really pushed forward the the desire and the need for consumer-based healthcare. And so as we were talking about this, I thought, you know, these two things are separate, but I think they're related because what better way to deflect some of the criticism that hospitals are getting than to build and talk about consumer slash patient-friendly efforts? Yeah, so I think certainly this this idea of innovation is interesting because we talk about it an awful lot. I'm not sure we do it an awful lot. Um, and I think that's where the opportunity is. And I think this is where, like, quite honestly, a lot of the change management that we've done historically over the years is going to really come into play when we start looking at leaders in healthcare systems and things like that, looking at leading in a new way around the idea of innovation. So in this case... It's, it's consumerism is the topic. And so how do we make things simply just work for people? We just have this really hard time. We have all these disparate systems that don't talk to each other and people have to go nine different places to do anything. You know, how do we make it simple enough for folks to receive care? And we need to make it easy enough that they're not having to know more than that, right? That they just want to receive care. Inpatient, outpatient, at home, at a facility, what doctor do you go to? Things like that. I, you know, this was even early on when we were building websites and doing things in healthcare. You know, we were using terminology and words that people, that people didn't know what that stuff meant. You know, so atrial fibrillation didn't mean anything to anybody. But how do we talk to consumers in a way that they very quickly can make a decision around whatever it is that they're trying to accomplish. And that could be paying their bill or or making an appointment or whatever it is. And so I think we'll just see the system evolve quite a bit. And I don't proclaim to be some expert around the, the business model, but you know, people coming to the ER and then becoming inpatients. I think that's still a thing. Certainly just as we're going to refer patients to other doctors or subspecialists or to the hospital for procedures and things like that. But I just, I think there's so many ways people obtain information now that we've got to kind of come alongside that from a, from an actionable standpoint. Yeah. There was an article, I guess a column in Med City News by Annie Harmon. And it's, the title is one big reason healthcare access is hard. And I mean, honestly, it sounds like something that you could have written read it, she says, 
patients continue to rely on insurance providers and Google to find care. They're looking for answers to these top three questions. Insurance, do they accept my plan? Location, are they close to my home or work? Reputation, what do patients say in ratings and reviews? And I thought that was interesting because she says people are going to insurance and Google. Like there's no mention of the Mm -hmm. providers there, which to some extent makes sense because you want to make sure that a provider that you find is covered by your insurance. But it's ironic that, you know, if you read between the lines there, people aren't going to the providers themselves to figure out if they can get care from those providers. So that seems like a big missed opportunity and also just a frustration point that's going to break down trust, which is going to open the door to, I don't know, I guess being more receptive to other negative stories told about providers. Yeah, I think, uh, and Annie's great. And I think a lot of the things that we see at reputation.com and, and those folks, there's some interesting findings and things like that, that they've put out over the years. But I think she's right in the sense that, and it's probably, I don't know, I've never gone to my insurance provider to find care. I'm sure some people do. I still ask around, Hey, I've moved to Nashville. You know, where should I go? The doctor kind of a thing. And, and then, yeah, and then do some research, right, through Google and, and things like that. And then you check then with that provider directly to see if they take your insurance or something like that. I think there's still a lot of trust put in that provider, in that doctor, in that clinician around where do I go from here? What, what care do I receive? Where do I receive it? Those types of things is, is my opinion. I, I think there is an opportunity, certainly, you know, as we think about what people find out about our doctors, our locations, our services, things like that online, it's still very, very important that we're participating there. But I think there's this misnomer around loyalty. Uh, I, I don't know that anybody's loyal to a health system. Like, I'm not sure that's a thing. Uh, preference, sure. Certainly as the acuity goes down or kind of those entry points, there's certainly no loyalty there. I think it's really about the person, both the both the person receiving care and providing care. I think that's where a lot of the opportunity is. And there's so many systems and you know, bureaucracy, if you will, in between those two people. It makes it hard to have that that continuity and that continuous way of receiving care. What should providers do? do to remove some of that bureaucracy or at least just streamline to facilitate the connection because if there isn't that loyalty then when somebody else shows up and either puts a bad spotlight on your organization or simply comes in and makes a better case the hospital down the street makes a better case you lose out so what yeah what do you what needs to happen to grease the wheels a little bit you know, the main thing that comes to mind for me, and, and I think about this through the lens of being a marketing guy, I'm going to use that disclaimer on the onset here, but, you know, if I'm a provider, I'm looking at, well, who am I treating, right? Like, who are these patients? What do they look like? Where do they live? How do they want to be communicated with? All those types of things, and then build that delivery mechanism around that. So telehealth probably makes, and virtual care makes a lot of sense in some respects. That's obviously going to be influenced by how big of a city do you live in. If I look at my patient population and I'm a primary care physician or something like that in a city, I go through what's the average length somebody has been a patient of mine. That's probably going to lead into like how comfortable are they with me and, you know, how well or how meaningful or useful telehealth or virtual care may be. 
Is it better for certain types of visits than others? I mean, I'm, you know, I'm obviously not the first person to say these words or think of this kind of stuff, but I would just start looking at strategically, like how are we deploying some of these mechanisms? And so if I've got, and I'm going to make some generalizations here, but if I'm primarily seeing younger families, chances are those folks are going to be very comfortable with telehealth, online scheduling, online bill pay, stuff like that, right? If I'm a geriatrician and, and I'm working with an older population and maybe I'm going out to some nursing homes and like calling, on, there's probably a different way that all works. Like, I, I don't know that virtual care makes as much sense unless there's somebody else on the other end helping that patient and stuff. So again, I, I think it's not a one size fits all. And if I'm out in West Texas and, and it's 10 minutes to anywhere in town, I don't know how useful telehealth is. I mean, it's convenient, I guess, at times, but it may just be as convenient for somebody to stop by your office versus if I live in Dallas or Houston or somewhere and it's 45 minutes and traffic is a nightmare, but it seems to make more sense. And so I think there's different utilizations in business cases for, for these types of things. And it's a lot of like, you know, marketing type philosophy that we use. Who is it? Where are they? What do they care about? What do they want to hear about? Let's not advertise everywhere. Let's just advertise where they spend their time, those types of things. And so I think being precise about how we offer a lot of this functionality and tools, I think will make them more meaningful, certainly. Uh, and then to kind of on the back side of that from an operational standpoint is having people that understand this stuff and can own it and, and run it. So I, I think it's kind of on both sides of the coin. So I'm seeing these ideas around alternative models of care and consumer-friendly healthcare showing up a lot. Are, are, are providers pretty receptive to it or are you hearing pushback kind of a, you know, we're still in the middle of yet another surge. How do we do this right now? I mean, what sort of, what, what are people saying about this and, and how are they making the connection to what's going on today and how they position strategically for tomorrow? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think, and again, not a provider, you know, I'm not there. So, uh, I think the first time around, right, if we rewind to March, April, May uh, of 2020, I think a lot of providers were just like, we don't know what's happening. Like they're just showing up. Now what? And so it was a little more of the unknown. I think now, even though there are surges, uh, and I'm not trying to d diminish, at least they understand what's happening. You know, I think, yes, I think people are very apt to, well, how do we, because of the burnout, because of a lot of that, what if this can help alleviate, you know, where's a release valve to some extent that, that might help because we can't just like, oh, we need 11 more nurses, right? Like, let's just go get them and plug them in. Obviously, for various reasons that we've all discussed, that's almost impossible. So how do we use technology? How do we use some of these things to potentially alleviate what we're seeing in the space? And so I think it's less about the unknown of the of the ailment of the disease and it's more about okay but now how do we use these technologies to potentially make the situation better i think that's where a lot of people's heads are in trying to figure out we got a lot of people in this really smart people smarter than me in this space trying to trying to figure out those types of things and so i think that's where we'll you know, ultimately get to you know care delivery being very different than it was in 2019 Right. Yeah, I mean, it does seem like it's definitely not easy, but it does seem like this is about as close to an all-in-one solution as we're going to get. I mean, there's the potential to reduce costs. 
to attract more patients, to improve outcomes, to help stabilize and support staffing issues. I mean, again, it's not not going to pretend like it's easy, but it's hard to see what there's not to like. Yeah. <clears throat> so, you know, we're kind of on the front end of this, right? And, and we're still, and people have brought up, and I even talked about it, I think, way back at the beginning of all this, telehealth as it relates to like the, the, the hype cycle, Gartner's uh, hype cycle. We had an innovation trigger, and I'm not going to say that telehealth didn't, or virtual care didn't exist beforehand. It did. But the innovation trigger was was COVID in this case. There was something that happened that triggered this interest, significant interest. And so then you get to this like peak of inflation, you know, the expectations, all that kind of stuff, those er- that early on, like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And, and a lot of that was because that was our only option, right? So we saw a ton of adoption. People were using Microsoft Teams for virtual care visits, you know, which I'm not sure is a good idea, but that's a whole other podcast. But we get over that and you you hit, you know, interest wanes. COVID kind of started to plane out there for a little bit. Man, that was really thought that was going to continue. But it, it almost felt like an experiment. It was over to some extent a little bit. The technology, you know, people were still trying to kind of catch up. And so you kind of hit this trough of disillusionment, which is all part of this hype cycle. And so <clears throat> I think we're in that area that the slope of enlightenment, and I think that's kind of where we find ourselves is like, okay, we went through this big inflation and then maybe some let down to some extent. And now everybody's going, yeah, but here's how this could work, right? Like everybody's, we've kind of been through it. And so now we'll see more of a, a logical growth through a slope versus just a hockey stick to a real meaningful experience. And, and that gets you to that kind of that final stage where everything plateaus out, right? And there's some level of stability and, and those types of things. Not that there won't be innovation that, that spikes every so often and disrupts and things like that. But I think just trying to keep in context where we are broadly kind of in this cycle, I think is important because I think right now is where people can really wade in with what the, the meaningful use case is and, and where this may be for the long term. I think that's all I got. Thanks. Thanks.